We've been together for all this time, sharing our laughter and tears. You said forever that you'd be mine, and I'd stay with you through the years. In every season, through every turn, it'll always be you by my side. And laughter and pain, and the joy through the rain, I'll face every turn of the tide. Cause all that I need is you. You're the only one that matters As long as I've got you I've got everything I need All I need is you You're all that matters And you're the only one That I could ever love And nothing can take you away from me You're my family, you're my home All that I'll ever need well, good morning. How's everybody feeling? You awake? Excited? Awesome. Hey, I promised that uh, Jack and I weren't 12 years old when we got married. I know it looks that way, <laughs> but I was actually 22 and she was, I think you were 20. 21 or something like that. Uh, so, uh, but uh, yeah, so uh, we're back again today. We've never done this before except for last week. We uh, invited my wife up on stage here to uh, talk about marriage. And um, last week I, I had a lot of fun. Was it helpful to you? Those of you who are here, awesome. Uh, what, what, how did it hit you being up on stage first time, you know? Yeah, I had a lot of fun. I, you know, it was a lot better than I thought it was going to be. I didn't forget <laughs> nearly as much as I thought I would. But, you know, I think one thing that was really affirming was all the couples, many couples come, came down and just, you know, people who've been married for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, one couple had been married for 57 years. And they said, you know, all of those things that you guys are talking about, we did that. Mm -hmm. And so th for me, that was really like, oh, that's maybe we're on the right track. Yeah. It was really affirming. Us personally. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the idea, if you weren't here last week, is this we just want to empty our cup. Not that we know it all. We certainly don't. We're still learning and growing, reading books, you know, learning from experience, making mistakes, messing up, you know, saying sorry and you know, moving forward. But you know, over the last fifteen years, actually it'll be sixteen years next next month. Uh, that we've been married, you know, we've just picked up some things that have really helped us create a, a marriage that's enjoyable, one that we like, we're actually friends, we actually like each other, which is awesome, uh, and we just thought, hey, what if we just shared that, and, and maybe you can glean something, apply it to your own marriage, those of you who are not married, maybe a future marriage, um, and so that's kind of our heart, you know, the, the, the rate, the divorce rate in our country today is 50%, and uh, whether you're Christian or not Christian, it's the same, which is, uh, which is pretty disturbing. But, you know, it's, it's not easy it's, or it's difficult to, to create or cultivate a marriage that's actually enjoyable. And so we take it seriously. We put a lot of work into it. And we just want to share some of those things. And uh, hopefully it'll be a benefit to you as well. So let's jump into this. We talked about four ideas last week. And you can watch the podcast if you miss it. I want to talk about four more, you know, kind of discoveries that we've made. And we'll jump right into it. And we'll talk about these, kind of like drinking from a fire hose, but we wanted to get in as much as we possibly could. Uh, so let's just jump in here. We decided along the way that, that man, something that we need to, smooth, to, to do to, to smooth out our marriage is to do money God's way. And, and because that's, that's a huge issue for married couples, uh, everybody's got to handle money, and so we decided to do it his way. Yeah, money happens to be the first or second source of conflict in marriage relationships. So it's absolutely vital that we, that we do it God's way. But, 
you know, I think it's a, such a source of conflict because many times, and not all of the time, but many times, it's just that we're different. You know, one is a spender, the other is a saver. One is a free spirit, the other likes to plan and budget and know what's coming in the near future. And, you know, one spouse has maybe come, you know, came from a home that where they were a little spoiled. The other came from a home where they, you know, had to work for everything they had. And, you know, I think that was true for us. You know, I came from a home where my parents were very generous. You know, they bought my first car. They put me through college. You know, I worked, but, it, you know, I didn't work. I didn't have to work to do you know, the things that I did. And, and Danny's family chose to do it a little bit differently. You know, he had a paper route from the age of 13. Um, he New York Daily News, yeah. 6 o'clock in the morning, every day. Mm -hmm. Christmas morning, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He used that money to pay for his first car. Um, he put himself through college. And, you know, he talks about having to pay half for, you know, several things. And so we just bringing those things into our marriage um, it, it was a struggle because we both viewed money very differently. Uh, the summer that we got married, you know, a lot of you know that Danny spent the summer selling Bibles or books door to door for Thomas Nelson. And during that summer, he was really frugal. And you know, he was frugal before, but he really practiced it this summer. And um, for food, he would, you know, buy a loaf of bread in the morning and a can of ravioli. And then being in South Georgia, he'd, he'd put that can of ravioli on the, on the dashboard. And then by lunchtime, you know, since it was so hot down there, he would just, you know, take it off the dashboard and use the can opener and just eat it right out of the can. 59 cents. Can't beat that. <laughs> and so actually at the end of that summer, they had a big award ceremony, and he won the award for spending the least amount of money of anybody on the book field <laughs> that summer. Not most sales, <laughs> least amount of money spent. And so, you know, fast forward from where he's getting this award, you know, 10 days later, we're getting married. And so, thankfully, we'd already um, planned a honeymoon, and we were going to Cancun, and uh, we went for four days, and it was an all-inclusive trip. And you know, thankfully it was all-inclusive because I think we might have been eating a loaf of bread and ravioli every day if it weren't for the all-inclusive aspect. You know, and I went down there thinking, you know, we're going to jet ski and do excursions and go shopping and, you know, try all these different places, restaurants. And he went down thinking, wh why would we do anything that we haven't already paid for? You That's know, we've the idea of all-inclusive. You've already paid for everything. <laughs> So, you know, we, <laughs> but for us, you know, those differences that we grew up with, those were apparent from the very Yeah, very I'll thing. give you one more example, just to let you know the different worlds we came from. Uh, you know, when we were at Liberty, when we met, you know, uh, there was this rule that freshmen could not park pretty much anywhere. So it was like pointless to have a car on campus, and, but Jackie had a car and, and she didn't want to walk every day, so she would she would just go ahead and break the rules and park where, where she wasn't supposed to park. And, and you know, um, you would get a ticket because Liberty's cops, they were just on it, right? So when she'd get a yellow ticket. And one day I asked her about it. I said, man, that's, you, you get a lot of tickets. You kind of park in the wrong spot. She said, yeah, they just put it on your school bill, and then my dad pays for it. <laughs> I was like, so it's like that? <laughs> wow. Just totally different world mindsets, but... 
you know, coming off the, coming off the book field, selling door to door, I was frugal, but just like any other married couple, when you start to have kids and there's things that happen, you need a house, you need cars, we kind of fell into that same pattern that a lot of other young couples fell into. We actually built a house, then we bought a brand new car, and it, in the first three to five years of our marriage, we found ourselves under a lot of debt, and we were feeling the pressure, and I was a high school pastor, you know, and, and it just wasn't a lot of cash to go around, but we just kind of fell into that, that pattern. And, uh, you know, the first year when you build a house, they, they tell you this, but you have to listen. <laughs> and I wasn't really listening. and said, hey, the first year you don't have to pay your taxes, but the second year they come due and then your mortgage is going to go up. I'm like, oh, no problem, you know. <laughs> well, that second year came and our mortgage went up and it was like, oh, my gosh, you know, two or $300 more. And, and thankfully, around that same time, we were introduced to a guy named uh, Dave Ramsey. And, and, and his principles, and slowly things started to change for us. Yeah, when we were introduced to Dave Ramsey, we read books like The Total Money Makeover, we went through Financial Peace University, and we learned lots of principles that we still apply today, which are things like uh, living on less than you make, which brings a huge amount of peace when there's a little bit left over at the end of the month. Um, getting on a spending plan or a budget um, but just simply telling your money where it's going to go instead of wondering where it went at the mm -hmm. end of the month. Um, things like um, paying off debt and then avoiding debt because what's the point of spending all this time to pay it off if, if you're just going to get back into it? Um, concepts like we're stewards or just managers of the money, but God is the owner. He owns everything on the earth. He's given us a small portion to manage while we're here. And then certainly giving. You know, that's definitely one of God's principles and being able to give generously because we've done all of these other things. And, and as we've done that, we've, you know, it was painful at the very beginning. It was really hard, but over time, it created a lot of peace. Mm -hmm. And we were on the same page and we had a game plan. And now it became kind of exciting because we had goals and they were common goals and we were working together to reach those goals. And over time, it's just created a sense of, there's not tension. There's mm -hmm. not a lot of tension when it comes to money. Mm -hmm. You know, and when things come up, like last week my washing machine broke and, you know, there was water all over the laundry room floor and kids had just gotten home from camp and, man, laundry needed to be done, if you know what I mean. You know, we were able to go to Sears and just, you know, buy a washing machine and it, it wasn't a big discussion. It wasn't stressful. We didn't have to sit down and figure out where the money was going to come from. We didn't have to go into debt mm -hmm. to get it. And, um, you know, it's just brought a lot of peace. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Dave Ramsey's books are awesome, but there's also a new book out called Slaying the Debt Dragon. And the author of this book is Sherry Lowe. She's a local blogger and author. And she tells a story about how she and her family, uh, they got out of over $100,000 of debt in just a little under four years, I think. So she's a great author, and it's a fun read. You almost actually forget that you're reading about such an uncomfortable topic because it's, it's such a good book. So, yeah, it's really yeah. good. Yeah, so the second discovery we made or what we want to talk about today is just showing each other grace. And what, I'm, what I mean here is uh, just choosing to forgive your spouse. Uh, if you are married, if you're going to get married, guess what? You're going to sin against your spouse a lot. And, uh, you know, I read a long time ago that a great marriage is made up of two great forgivers. And so forgiveness is really an art form. It's a skill. You have to learn it. And in Gary Thomas's book, uh, Sacred Marriage, which I highly recommend, if you haven't read that yet, it's a fantastic read, Sacred Marriage. 
Uh, he shares this story in his chapter on forgiveness about a lady who's trying to kill a cockroach in her house, and she, she's really having a hard time killing it, and she finally gets it into the toilet bowl, and she basically empties a can of insecticide on this cockroach in the toilet bowl, and, uh, but she forgets to flush. She forgets to flush it, and she kills the thing, and the, she walks away. Her husband comes home from work. He goes into the bathroom. He's smoking a cigarette. Drops a cigarette in the toilet after, you know, he's done, and whew, all his man parts are burned up. True story. And uh, so the 911 EMTs come. They're, you know, man, this guy's so badly burned. We got we to gotta get him to the hospital. They put him in a stretcher. They're, they have to go down these steps to get him into the ambulance. On the way down, they ask the, the wife, how did this happen? I mean, this is strange. His, his you know, weird place is burned. And, and uh, she, she, she tells them, she tells the EMTs what happened. They start laughing so hard, they drop the dude off the stretcher. He breaks his pelvis and a couple of ribs. And, and, and uh, Gary tells this story because he, he says, look, your spouse is going to do some stuff. <laughs> You're going to have to choose to forgive. And that's just something we, we've done. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Nothing like that has ever happened, thank goodness. Not yet, not yet. <laughs> you know, but knowing that we're going to have conflicts in our marriage, we've just chosen to forgive. You know, the Bible talks so much about forgiveness, but in Colossians 3.13 it says, that we need to bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Yeah, and it's easier to talk about this than it is to actually do it. Isn't that true? Uh, C.S. Lewis said it perfectly. He said, everybody thinks that forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. And I have seen that to be true in my life. I, I can preach sermons about forgiveness. And then someone hurts me and it's like, oh, you know, what if they... What if they're not remorseful, or what if they do it again, or, you know, uh, the pain is too deep, and, and, and there's all these reasons why forgiveness is very challenging. I mean, it's a nice idea, but it's hard to do, but let me say this to you, and I'm saying this to us as well, and this is why we've made this decision. Even though it's hard to do, if you don't do it, you are poisoning your marriage. I think it was Joyce Meyer who said, unforgiveness is like taking poison and hoping that the other person dies. And, and have you, haven't you noticed that? It, that there's this, it actually infects your soul and it infects the marriage. It creates this environment of resentment and bitterness and anger. And then if you're not careful and you let it go all the way, it turns into something called hatred. And then you don't even want to be around your spouse. You don't want to be in the same room with them. I've seen marriages like this. It's totally a toxic environment. How did that happen? A lack of showing each other grace. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, there are going to be those big offenses in a marriage where we have to be really intentional and work through forgiving one another. But that more often and more frequently are these little petty things. And it's for these petty things that I think we've learned and we've discovered that we just have to believe the best in each other. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the Song of Solomon, verse 2, I think it's 15, says, Catch all the little foxes, those little foxes, before they ruin the vineyards of love, mm. for the grapevines are blossoming. Mm. And, you know, th the petty things are the little foxes that get in there and, and mess things up. Like, you know, when your spouse leaves the dishes out, and instead of, you know, rinsing it and putting it in the sink, leaving it next to the sink. So all of this stuff can get all hard and crusty on the inside, and then somebody has to scrub it before you put it in the dishwasher. Thank, thank God for that somebody. <laughs> I mean, they just come around. <laughs> I scrub a lot of things. <laughs> you know, things like um, putting the dirty clothes, you know, 10 feet away from where the dirty clothes ought to be, you know, like kind of in a pile on the bathroom floor. Um, things like not making the bed, you know, when they're the last one in it. If I've made the bed already and then somebody comes home to take a, you know, 20-minute nap and then doesn't make, remake the bed, you know. Th these are the little, you know, petty things. 
the little foxes that can come in. And, and I don't know what they are for you, but we certainly all have them. For us, a big one is the shoes. You know, I tend to leave out shoes. I also like to make piles, but we'll focus on the shoes. You know, I would I love to talk about the piles. Uh, <laughs> it's quite fascinating. Um, um, you know, but I, I always have at least a pair of flip-flops in the summer around, then maybe a pair of tennis shoes, you know, a pair of sandals. I just, it's not that I do it on purpose. It's just I'm really thinking of what the next thing is, or I'm in a hurry. And, you know, rather than take the time to put them away, they just get left out. And so Danny has the challenge to believe the best in me that I'm not, just taking him for granted and saying, oh, he'll take care of it. I'm just going to leave him there because I know someone will come along behind me and clean up my messes. But also that I'm not, you know, craftily like, you know, planning to make him crazy. He just has to believe the best in me. And likewise, I have to believe the best in him when he puts them away. You know, sometimes they're not real easy to find. They're certainly not in the place where I would put them if I put them away. And, you know, when I'm, I'm running late and I know, you know, especially for women, there you have that pair of shoes has got to go with what you're wearing at the moment. And so I'm looking for that pair of shoes. And sometimes they're like in the most obscure closet that's far from any exit to the house. And not only are they in the closet, they're like in the corner with like two or three pairs of shoes piled on top. You know, I have to believe the best in him, right? <laughs> and it's hard sometimes to believe the best because um, I've had to confess to her that I have intentionally done that <laughs> at least twice to say, if I put these things away in a tough spot, maybe she'll put her own shoes away one day. My heart was in the right spot, I promise. I was, I was actually trying to help the si situation. Um, but um, okay. one of my favorites is the, uh, is the, the lint from the dryer. It, it never makes it to the trash. Uh, don't understand that. Well, because I'm, I'm not thinking about, I'm thinking about getting the wet stuff in the dryer. So that's a little fox. That's stuff, a little right. fox. So I oftentimes <laughs> will, uh, because I, I'll just take the lint for her and I'll just, I'll show her. Got the lint. <laughs> um, you but know, but I think no. the, go the point is, is that we have to believe that it's not the intent of my heart right. to make you nuts. Sure. So I don't think she's intentionally doing that with the lint to drive me right. crazy, and I just try to cover her, her cover her a little bit with grace. Um, anyway, so those are the small things. If you listen, if you don't, if you don't cover the small things, you know, the 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 picking and the scratching and the and the belching and the burping and all those things that happen in our house because we got four three boys and um, boys. you know she's very graceful with all that stuff. You know, it, they add up, and and then you end up getting frustrated and angry and leads to bitterness, all that stuff. But with the big things, you know, something we've done that's really helped, we've had to do is just say, hey, we need to look at how the Lord has forgiven us. And that is so big. Because when you take, a, when you take time, if you're a Christ follower, when you take time to look at how God has treated me in regards to my sin, if we go back to Colossians 3, verse 17, it says, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. So how has the Lord forgiven me? Well, he's taken a look at my sin and he's washed it all away. He's canceled my debt. He's, he's totally forgiven my sin. We just got done singing a few moments ago. Calvary covers it all. My sin and my shame don't count anymore. That's true. And so if I look at how Jesus has forgiven my sin and how he's dealt with my sin, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed my sin from me, I have no 
you know, ledge to stand on, no ground to stand on to hold a grudge against her, and she has no uh, ledge to hold a grudge against me. And so we just have to treat each other as God has treated us, and that is to show grace. And what we're really talking about here is love. Like, if you love your spouse, this moves you towards showing them grace. Listen to how Peter explained it. Peter was a person who was familiar with receiving grace. Remember, he denied Christ three times. In the book of 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, listen to what he says. Most of all, continue showing deep love for each other because love covers a multitude of sins. You see, that's the thing that's going to move you to ultimately forgive your spouse. It's like, I love you. I'm on your side. I want what's best for you. So I'm going to drop this, this debt that you owe me, this, this thing that you did to me. I'm going to cover it because I love you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, so let's talk about fighting. This is good. This, is, this next principle here we've discovered because it's inevitable that you're going to fight. Every couple is going to fight. The question is, how are you going to fight? We've just decided and discovered along the way that we have to fight fair. Yeah, absolutely. We have to fight fair. You know, if you're in a marriage, you're, you're going to have conflict. That's not the question. Someone's going to do something. They're going to forget to do something. There's going to be an issue that you can't agree on how to resolve. Or, you know, maybe it's just something that somebody says. You know, the other day... I said in passing, hey, I'm thinking about signing up for that half marathon, the Monumental, that's in November. You know, and real quick, he said, well, you're going to have to run more than three miles if you're going to do that. <laughs> you know, and it's like, really? <laughs> I know you're not going to believe me on this, but my heart was in the right place again. <laughs> I was trying to speak life, not death. Yeah, but we let it be a little fox. It was so a that little was fox. good. You showed me grace. Right, yeah. You got so we moved on. But, you know, I think as we've talked about this, we've realized that it's not are we, are we going to get into conflict. The question is how are we going to handle it. And here are a couple of things that we've discovered that we do. Uh, the first is just that we listen to each other. And this is kind of piggybacking off of last week and reflective listening. But when we listen, we are making an investment of respect mm-hmm. into the situation. And our spouse, you know, if you remember that, that emotional oxygen, they feel heard, and we can continue to have a substantive, a substantive conversation about the problem. But when we don't listen, we show disrespect. And then, you know, we're, we don't just have the problem at hand. Now we've got a personal issue, and that's that we've disrespected our spouse. So now we're not just attacking the problem, we're attacking the person as well. And so, you know, the Bible says in Proverbs 18, 2, that a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinions. And so when, you know, one of us plays that, that part of not listening, but only just saying what we think, saying what we think, we're, we're being foolish. Yeah, and I've definitely played that, played the fool way too many times. You know, even in fact, this week, you know, my wife had to look at me. We were having a little bit of a disagreement, and she, she just flat out said, you know, you're, I'm... I don't feel heard right now. And she was right. I was just uh, waiting to express my opinion because I thought I was right on the situation and I just kept saying what I thought, you know, I needed to be said uh, until she would agree with me. <laughs> uh, which gets us into the next point, um, which is, to, you know, when you're fighting, you really have to take into consideration your spouse's temperament. Your spouse has a different temperament than you do. They handle situations differently. They think about situations differently. They process things, interpret things differently. And that is certainly the case for us. Um, I'll give you an example. Uh, last week, we were, I, we were cooking dinner. I was outside grilling chicken on the grill. 
and, and it was coming to an end, and I was put, starting to put it on the plate, and so it was kind of a, you know, that moment where is it done or whatever, and so, and, and out of the, my left, I heard this voice uh, from my left, on my left side, it was my son, and he started yelling and screaming, and what had happened was our dog, who was a mini schnauzer, he had gotten into a, a, a rabbit's nest, and he was chewing up some of the babies. I know, I know, I know, it's very sad. And so, uh, you know, he found it, and that's what he's trained to do. Like, when he kills moles, we're like, yay! When he kills rabbits, no! <laughs> and so, and so um, we're there, and, and I'm cooking the chicken. I'm like, okay, you know, he's like, no, he's killing him right now. I'm like, okay, stop him, you know, do what you got to do. And Jackie comes out, and she walks over there, and she sees that the poor little guys are not dead yet, you know, and so they're, like, trying to, <laughs> they're trying to get air. And so she loses it. Like, I mean, just, uh, and I'm like, chicken, you know, is it done yet, you know? Uh, <laughs> You know, uh, so, so I, they find, they're calling me over. I walk over there. I look at the poor little guys. You know, they're all bloody. And they're, you know, we get Buddy in the house because he's all like, yeah, I got him, you know. And so he's all excited. And, and it's just this moment. And I'm like, okay, I see the rabbits. I've got to get the chicken. I still had a few pieces on the grill. I'm afraid they're going to burn. And so I go over, get the chicken off. I go inside. I'm like, come on, guys, hot meat. Let's go. You know, it's time to eat. And so we go inside. Jackie's got everything else set up. And, and you know, we get in there. And everyone's, it's, it's like someone in the family died. It's just it's this quiet, like, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, after a few moments, I don't know what to say because I'm trying not to be a jerk. You know what I'm saying? It's like hot, but there's hot meat. Like, I like to eat when it's hot, right? Some of you, like, you're so insensitive. I know. It's just with different temperaments. So all of a sudden, she just loses it again, like, full out, like, just crying. Like, it's just tears. <laughs> and my son, Bowie, like, he's, he, I start to laugh. I start to giggle. He, Bo, I, I seriously, Bo looks at me, he's like, he wants to laugh because I'm his dad and he thinks that's probably cool, but he sees his mom bawling, he's like, he wants to cry too, he doesn't know what to do, cry or laugh, and it's just this great, just illustration of how we are so different uh, when it comes to how things happen, and, and that, that impacts how we handle conflict completely, so, so like my temperament is, hey, there's a problem, let's talk about it until we fix the problem. And let's go back and forth, and, and I can verbally spar with people, and I'm a fast thinker, and I can process information and point things out. And so early on in our marriage, that's what I would do to Jackie. I was, anytime there was a conflict, we'd say, okay, we're going to talk about this, we're going to get there. And when I would get passionate, my voice would get loud, and then it would just, finally, 20, 30 minutes later, after she was totally worn out, she'd go, okay, you're right. Let's do it your way. Yep, yes, yes, you're right. And, I, and, and for a while there, I thought that was okay, because I thought, you know, I'm the husband. That's good. You should submit or something like that. <laughs> Which is totally wrong and prideful and ego-centered and all that stuff. And, but later on in the marriage, I thought, she's just giving up. In fact, she's lying to me. <laughs> she's just telling me what I want to hear. So I realized, oh my gosh, I have to stop doing that. Like, her temperament is calm slow processor. She likes to think. She likes to keep her voice low. She's very gentle. She's very calm. So what, what I did is to say, hey, look, that's her temperament. So we have to solve problems way differently. I have to consider the way she does it. And we've done that. And man, it has been, in my opinion, I think one of the greatest things that helps us fight fair. Absolutely. Yeah, that's been key. But also another thing that we found is just choosing a good time. And this is similar to that temperament because, you know, I've learned that if I have something to say that is possible argument or fight material, I need to not lay, lay it on my husband when he walks in the door from work, right when he walks in the door, blah, mm. you know, or I need to, you know, not share it when he's tired or, or right when before he's bed. You know under a lot of stress. Yeah, or when we're half asleep, 
you know. Um, I also, not in front of our kids, uh, not in front of our parents. Some of you do that, I think you're nuts. Just, just be, just kind of a moment <coughs> here. I think you're, to fight in front of your kids, man, you shattered their whole sense of security in the world. So anyway, just, just wanted to interject that. Yeah. We try to avoid doing it in front of family members, neighbors, company, just because that opens up the door for us to embarrass one another. Um, but choosing a good time. And sometimes that means we have to wait. That means that, you know, a good time is not presenting itself because we've got a busy day or two. And so we have to say, look, you know, 7 o'clock, you know, we're going to sit down. We're going to have this conversation. Or when the go kids go to bed, we're going to sit down. You know, and a lot of times preparing him, if I've got something, you know, that I have to say that might be difficult to hear, saying, hey, i got to talk to you later about our finances or about this thing that happened with one of the kids at school and, you know, just want to let you know. <laughs> you know, that way he's kind of ready and he's his disposition is ha ready ha to have a posture of understanding and be able to hear it. That's really good. Um, and then something else that we've tried to, you know, use as a principle is just to stay cool. This has been more for me, not for her. She can stay cool. Uh, very rarely have I ever seen you angry. <laughs> um, and, but, you know, the idea behind this is that if you can stay calm and, and keep anger out of the situation, you can stay focused on the issue. But once anger rears itself up or comes up, now, now the issue is about your, your spouse's anger. It's not about the issue anymore. And you get side railed and, and, and it's just, it, anger makes everything more difficult. You know, the scriptures say in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 18, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. And, and that last part is so key there, that, that when you can keep your cool, it's, you, allow, you can stay focused on what the issue at hand is and actually have a better chance at solving it. You know, it was Dallas Willard who, who said uh, years ago that anything you can do with anger, you can do better without anger. And I believe that with all my heart. So I've just kind of gone into uh, uh, any type of tension or argument that we have. I just remind myself that this is going to go better if I can leave anger out of the picture. And then we can focus on the issue and stay calm. And by the way, that again, that is considering my wife's temperament. And things tend to go much better. Yeah. And the last thing that we've discovered that I think is the biggest game changer when it comes to fighting fair is just to remember who the enemy is. Mm. You know, the Bible says in John 10, 10, that there is an enemy and he's a thief who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. And I'll never forget when we went to the first family life marriage conference we ever attended together. We were newly married. There was a husband and wife team that was speaking, and they just used this illustration to say, you know, there's an enemy out there, and he wants to bring down believers. Mm -hmm. And not only does he want to bring down believers, but he wants to bring down believers who are joined together as one. And, and especially if they have kids, you know, who are our believers. Now we have this family unit that is, you know, a shining light for Jesus in a community. How valuable of a target is that to the enemy? And so it really kind of changed my perspective. And then I, I realized that I have an enemy. I was thinking that my husband was an enemy, but I realized he is not. But I do have an enemy, and I'm not going to let him have my marriage. Mm. And so if I have to, to humble myself in a situation or, you know, back off from maybe how, what I'm, you know, thinking or my stance in order to, you know, come to a resolution together, and if I have to, you know, give a little concession, that's okay. Because once we're on the same page, we have won together. Mm -hmm. It's no longer me fighting against him and, I, and I'm going to win or he's going to win. But when we come to a, an, a mutual agreement in a healthy way, we've both won. Yeah. 
if that's all you get today, what she just said, that was worth you coming today because when my wife saw things from that perspective, I noticed an immediate change uh, with how she was approaching me on any issue that was tense. And it was more of, hey, let's get together and fight against the enemy who wants to destroy our marriage. And uh, I certainly felt like you came, you came closer to me on my team, and it was awesome. So uh, really good stuff. Let's, let's talk about this last one. We, we mentioned this last week, but I want to go a little bit deeper into it and talk about it because I think it's the ball game. I think everything comes from this, and that is uh, emotionally connecting with your spouse. When, when two people are connecting emotionally, uh, the marriage is going to go well because here, here's what's going on. What, what's happening is that your spouse feels understood, they feel cared for, they feel supported, they feel encouraged, they feel like you get them. They feel like, man, this person is my best friend. We are together. We know what's going on. At any given time, my spouse knows what I'm thinking. Not completely, but they know where I'm at emotionally and mentally. And, and that's what I'm talking about when I say emotional connection. And, and that is not easy to come by. It does not happen simply because you're married. Yeah, we've discovered there are a couple of major hindrances that, that come up when we're, trying, when we're seeking this emotional connection because it doesn't happen on accident. You know, there it, it doesn't have it ha happens only because we're very purposeful about you making it happen. You got to work for it. Yeah, and the first thing that we have discovered that's a major hindrance is simply the pace of life. You know, I mean, w the world is so different now than it was even 16 years ago when we got married. You know, with when we got married, the internet was brand new, and getting an email was like a novelty. You know, and now it, everyone's on their phones. We have all these devices, and we're you know plugged into some other social outlet rather than this physical, you know, social emotional relationship we have going on. And you know, even in our home, a lot of times you know it comes up, and we're like, "Are you on your phone right now?" Because we're trying to have conversation, and you're looking at your phone, you know, or you know you have your phone at the dinner table. Okay, let's you know, and just trying to create those good habits and paying attention to that. Also, you know, besides all of that um, social media stuff that, that happens, there's this aspect of all of the, the sports we have our kids in at, at every time of year and all of the boards that we've agreed to sit on and all of the clubs that, you know, our kids are in and just all of these things that we've said yes to, not out of a place of uh, ill intent. We've said yes to all these things because we want to help out and we want to be good citizens and good community members and good, you know, parents at the school and, and all of these things. But would they all work together to, to hurt the heart of our marriage if we're not careful? Yeah, and that leads me into the second major hindrance that I've noticed is that the marriage ceases to be the priority. Other things have become more important, that be it a job or be it the kids or a hobby or something else. Uh, and that's when, uh, that's, a, that's a recipe for disaster in a marriage, when the marriage is not the most important relationship. The way it's supposed to work, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll preach at you a little bit, but, but please hear my heart. I'm just sharing with you what we've discovered to be, to be true and from the Bible, is, is that th the way the hierarchy of relationships should work in the house is that God, the, the most important relationship is with Jesus Christ, with God. And then the second most important relationship in the home is the, is the husband and the wife. And then the third is the, with the children. And a lot of couples get that mixed up. They put the children in the, in the second slot, and the children become the focus, and the children's activities become the focus, and everything's about the children, 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 children. And what we have done in our house, is, uh, our, our house, and you don't have to do it this way, this is just us pouring our cup out here, is that we've just communicated to our kids that they are not that important. <laughs> We're very clear about that. 
mom and dad, are actually, our relationship is actually more important than our relationship with you. And they kind of look at us like, oh, I think that hurts. <laughs> no, 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 don't let it hurt. We love you. We love you in a different way, but you're leaving. See how that works? In fact, if you don't leave, we failed you. Great definition of marriage, of parenting, is teaching and preparing your children to leave. And then when they leave, guess who's, guess who's, guess who's going to be together for another 30 years? We planned it this way. See, we got married young. We had our kids early on purpose so that they would leave and we would still be in our mid-40s. Isn't that right? It's going to be so exciting. No kids, right? So it's not that we don't love our kids and give our kids as much as we possibly can. It's just that they are not the primary relationship in our home. Some of you, some of you moms are hearing that right now, and you're like, I don't like him. <laughs> you don't have a problem with me. I'm telling you. You have a problem with, with God and the way he has set up the home. Your husband is more important than your children. Hello. Husbands, your wife is more important than your children, and we get that mixed up, and it, it throws the marriage. And so then what happens is that the marriage doesn't get the focus, and it doesn't get the attention that it needs in order to thrive. And so we've just, we've just said, no, we're not going to do it. So talk a little bit about how, how, how we connect emotionally. Yeah, we connect emotionally simply by having conversations, and it's way more than just what did you do today. But it's, you know, what are your... What are you anxious about? What are you excited about? What, you know, the things that happened, you know, tell me about how they made you feel. So we talk about what's happening right now. We talk about the future a lot. We mm -hmm. talk about how we hope to retire and what kind of grandparents we hope to be. And I love that because I think it helps us make good decisions for today with our finances and, you know, how we treat our bodies and things like that. Puts us on the same page. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I think the main thing is to stay interested. You know, we've changed just in 16 years. We're different people than we were. She's like a fine wine, no joke. She gets better over time. I know that's cliche, but it's so true. <laughs> no, but people change, and I think the key is to stay interested as your spouse changes and as he, you know, discovers a new concept that he's interested in. For me to come alongside and be interested in that too, that's really helpful. Yeah, because if you're not interested in your spouse, guess what? Someone else will be. Hello, 39 million, 37 million Americans recently over the last couple of years have got on to Ashley Madison, the affair website in the news. Have you heard about this? Uh, 37 million Americans have said, you know, I'm, my, my marriage, ah, I'd like to go have an affair. What am I looking for? Who am I looking for? Why, why would that happen? Why would the grass look greener on the other side of the fence? I'll tell you why. It's very simple. Because people have lost the emotional connection with their spouse. And so now they're going outside of their marriage for a little fun. The fun is supposed to be right here with your spouse. Does that make sense? So this really is the ball game. You have to work hard to connect emotionally with your spouse. So what we do uh, is, is uh, just a couple of practical things. This is when we do it. We have daily conversations, as Jackie mentioned a little bit ago. Then we go on a weekly date night. Now, we're not as good as the, at this as we used to be because our, our schedules have gotten busier and our kids are now older. Uh, but we still do a date night at least once a month or twice a month. And we, when we go on that date night, we're, we're not just eating dinner. We're talking. We're connecting. At a, we have about three hours or so to, to have a deeper conversation because you can only go so deep on a daily on a daily uh, basis, right? You gotta, you gotta go to bed. You gotta, you gotta wake up. You gotta cook dinner. You gotta clean up the dishes. All these different things. So it's hard to connect emotionally in the in the daily grind. 
But that, that's why the weekly date is so important. And then I love this idea that we've done. This is a, like a bi-weekly extended date. Twice a year, uh, bi- bi-yearly, sorry. That's not right. Twice a year. <laughs> Twice a year we tend to, we, we go like either downtown Indianapolis or one time we went to St. Louis and we just get a hotel. And, and now we've got, you know, 48 hours or 72 hours to really just be by ourselves, no kids. We get, you know, mom and dad to watch the kids or whatever. And we just connect and talk at, at length. And then my favorite of all of these investments is the yearly vacation without children. And that is a true vacation. You know, everything else is a trip. You know what I'm saying? You, got, you take trips and then you go on vacation. And this is the vacation. So we've got no children. And we just, we just have all this time to just talk to each other and, and hang out and just have fun and just not be, have to be anywhere or make any peanut butter jelly sandwiches or take anybody to the doctor or do whatever it is that we do on a weekly basis uh, that, that wears us out. And so, y- you know, you have to be intentional with this. Just because you're married, it does not mean that you are going to connect emotionally. A lot of people make that mistake. Oh, we're married. It's just going to happen. It's not going to happen unless you, unless you take the initiative and make it happen. So let me, let me uh, wrap this up by pointing out that on August 14th, we've created this event, this Marriage Rocks event over at Banta, so that you can make an investment, so that you can be intentional in your marriage. And so I would suggest, hey, set apart the time. We've got childcare. You can, you can go on a date. You can go out to eat first, drop your kids off, go on a date, come back. And then have this experience. There'll be a speaker. It's not going to be me. There'll be some entertainment. And uh, Jack and I are going to go. We're actually, that's the night of our 16th anniversary. So if you come, you'll be celebrating our 16th year anniversary with us. Uh, very excited. That's not why we're doing the event. But we're doing the event for you, not us. But we're going to be there. And so it's going to be very exciting. Hey, there's a few books in the bulletin there you're going to look at. Uh, I think we put Love and War, this is, which is a great book. Uh, if you want to go deeper into this, fantastic book written by John and Stacey Eldridge. Uh, then we have the other one, uh, um, The Sacred Marriage by Gary Thomas. And I think there's another one in there called Love and Respect that's really been influ- uh, uh, influential in Jackie's life and my life as well. So, hey, let me wrap this up by talking to you a little bit about uh, the, the, the key relationship that you have created for and that is a relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, a few moments ago, I talked about 1 Peter 5, uh, 4, 8, which says, love one another earnestly with all your heart because love covers a multitude of sins. You know, the gospel is all about God covering your sins. The Bible says that God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, it's the, it's the love that God has for you and me that caused him, that moved him to send Jesus Christ to this earth to die on a cross for you and I. That is the primary relationship that you were created for. A marriage would be a secondary relationship. Very important. And it, and it, and it, it pays to do it well. But the most important relationship you have to have is with Jesus Christ. And so the way that you start that relationship is by putting your faith in him. By, by basically looking at Jesus and saying, look, I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you, 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 you came back to life. Three days later, you rose again. I believe you're the Savior. Please come into my life, wash me in my sins, and make me one of your children. And maybe you've heard me talk about this before because I talk about it every week, and you put it off, and you put it off, and you put it off. Maybe today is the day that you put your faith in Christ. If you feel like that, if, the, if this is your moment, I'm going to invite you to close your eyes and bow your head. And if you've already said this prayer and you've asked Christ to be your Savior, just pray for those, I don't know, five, ten people that are about to make this decision, maybe more. Let's pray. If this is you right now, just express your faith to God very simply through these words. Dear Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. 
I believe you paid the penalty for my sin. Right now, I place my faith in you for the forgiveness of my sins. I believe you loved me enough to die for me. I believe you came back to life so that I can be completely washed, completely cleansed of all my sin. Help me for the rest of my life to live for your glory, for your honor, and to bring a smile to your face. Thank you today for making me your child by faith in your son. I pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, if you just prayed to receive Christ, that is the greatest decision you'll ever make in your life. And it's so important that you hear the next words that I say. If you put your faith in Christ, the Bible says that you become a born-again Christian. You've been spiritually reborn. You're born physically once. When you put your faith in Christ, you're born spiritually. In the same way that little babies need nourishment and milk from their mother, you need nourishment and milk. And God has provided a way for you to receive that nourishment. And that is through the Word of God. And the Bible says that if you want to grow in your faith, you must take up the Word of God, drink the milk of the Word of God so you can grow in your salvation. So if you prayed to receive Christ today, there's tables back here to my right and to my left, which would be your left and your right. Just go back there and say, hey, I prayed to receive Christ today. Can I have one of those Bibles? And don't just take one, but read it. I read these same passages every morning. I was in Romans chapter 9 this morning, just like some of you were. And, and so you'll be reading the same passages that I read, being on the same page. Not that that's a big deal or whatever, but it's just, it's just fun to know that we're all reading kind of the same passages. And, and, and you'll watch. You'll see that God will begin to speak to you. He'll begin to nourish you and show you how to live this life in a way that's honoring to Him. We give God glory today for what He's done. Hey, before we pray, I just want to thank my wife for being up here. Didn't she do a good job, guys? Appreciate it. Awesome. Love you. Last night, last night in the car, I said, guys, I, I, I was talking to my kids. I said, I chose a good woman. And, and uh, I said some other things. And my middle son said, I want one just like her. And I kid you not, she, he, didn't, he, didn't he say that? And it was so awesome. I thought, yes. You know, because anyway. Just, just cool moment. You're, you're fantastic. So uh, next week, we're starting a brand new series called Pursuing Awesome. You're not going to want to miss it. Let's pack this place out. Let's bring your friends. It's going to be an enjoyable series. Let's pray. God, we love you. Thank you for those who put your, their faith in you today. Thanks for this, uh, this chance to talk about marriage, your institution, and for a husband and a wife to, to bring uh, uh, friendship, companionship, to enjoy pleasure together, to bring life into this world. And literally, God, to, to uh, change a community through marriage. And so uh, we believe that that's possible. And so thanks for the opportunity to talk about it and, and be a blessing. I pray that you would use the words today to, uh, to bring about the change that you desire. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Love you. God bless. See you next week. If you can love.